I want to, um, it was, uh, when Todd asked me to um, lead Community Today, I was, first of all, I had to say yes. Um, but it was wonderful because a story had I'd been reminded of that I'd heard many years ago. I'd heard from someone else tell me this story. And, uh, and honestly, it was a Bible story I had never read before until I heard from them. And then I went. I was like, oh, man, I had to go see if it's true. And I found it in the Bible. And it was true. And it's an amazing story. I want to share it with you guys because I think it just, it's, well, I don't know. I just have a gut feeling that it's a good time for it. The story we're finding, that we're going to be talking about today is found in the Old Testament. If you guys want to go there, it's in the book of 2 Samuel. Uh, it, it needed a little bit of historical context. We'll take care of that, but then the story just kind of picks up from there. Uh, it's a story uh, about David and, and just finally sitting into his new role as the king and the united monarchy over Israel. Um, this, was, this is kind of very early on within his reign as king. And he was sitting... And he asks a question, and I don't know if it was like a rhetorical question or if it was just one of those questions he asks and his attendants take care of. But he says in 2 Samuel chapter 9, And David said, Is there anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Jonathan, as you guys know, is David's very good friend who was a son of Saul, uh, who looked after him, took care of him. And that's something that he remembered, remembered. Even through all the time when Saul was pursuing him, he never forgot Jonathan. And so he says... Is there anyone left in the house of Saul? I don't know if you guys are familiar with 2 Samuel, but it's a, it's in, in terms of political dramas, it's kind of on the top tier right there. Um, and early on, it kind of talks about kind of David uh, confirming his seat of power and people being enthusiastically, preemptively killing Saul's family as a way of getting good with David. But of course, it ended up you know, not turning out as they thought it would. But, but there's this person that's mentioned early on in chapter 4. And his name, his name isn't given, when his name is given, his name is Mephibosheth. And he is one of Jonathan's sons. In fact, the first time that he's introduced was in a passage when he's talking about how his uncle, Ishbosheth, was killed, once again, by these eager people, eager to please the new king. And once again, not working out quite as they planned. But the story begins even further back at the defeat of Mount Gilboa. If you guys remember, that's when the Philistines were fighting against Saul and his army is defeated at Gilboa. Jonathan is killed there and it's the, scene, it's the final scene of Saul when he falls upon his own sword, uh, just wrecked with defeat and agony about what's actually going on. And in fact, out of the news of the defeat of Mount Gilboa, the people that were taking care of Saul's family, including Jonathan's uh, family, as it says in chapter four, it says that they were panicked and they fled. And of course, as you know, in the ancient world, when a regime change happens, because a king, a king is a symbol of stability. A king is what you relied on. As long as the king was good, you knew everything else was going to be okay. And so when news travels, not only is the king dead, but the king was defeated against one of your most nefarious enemies, then the panic, you can see, you can, you can almost feel the panic set in. And of course, the nurse of Mephibosheth picked him up, as the text tells us, and in an effort to run away from what possibly might happen, uh, she falls or he gets dropped. But anyways, but the story says that he is lame for the rest of his life. From the time he was five years old, he was dropped, and he's lame for the rest of his life. And that's all it says in chapter 4. But the story picks back over in chapter 9. When David asked that question, 
is there anyone left in the house of Saul? And so he says it two times. Is there there not still someone? The second time he says it is in verse 3. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to? And his attendants said, there is this one guy. This is one guy, Mephibosheth. He's lame in both feet. And some, I mean, some scholars wonder, wonder if they announce that as a way of saying, don't worry, he's not a threat to your throne because he's lame on both feet. Or if it's a way of saying, oh yeah, there's this guy, he's broken. He's on the markdown section. He's sold as is kind of thing. You don't wanna, we don't know, but you could go with either thought and find something there. But he says, where is he? And he sends him out and they go get Mephibosheth and they bring him before the king. Now, once again, kind of playing into this idea that they did things differently than we do, uh, just the fact that, one, he was crippled means that he probably was not doing well, as in there was not a whole lot of working at home jobs in the ancient world kind of thing. If you didn't have your feet, you didn't have work, more or less. But also, he is, he's, a, he's more symbolic than that. See, he's a symbol of the failed regime. He is a symbol of a failed administration that lost, that put themselves in there. And so when people who say, yay, we love King David, would look at anyone still associated with the kingdom of Saul and saying, man, they wouldn't even say they'd just shake their head and walk away. Oh, you're Saul's family. Well, this is awkward. And they'd make small talk and then walk away because there's really not, there's not a whole lot of glory left when you're a remnant of what was and what is no longer. And so whatever his condition, whatever his socioeconomic condition was, we can assume it was not in the comfortable reign because with all his family murdered and all his family killed, he had to rely on the generosity of others to take care of him. Once again, you didn't have feet, you more likely didn't have work. But that's where the twist comes in. And one thing I love that the Bible always kind of leads us into, oh, I think I can see what's happening. And through the wonderful grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there's always just that little twist that says, oh, I thought I knew, but I didn't. See, it goes on there. Mephibosheth is brought before David. Who knows what his state like? Probably panicked, probably concerned. I am a member of the former monarchy, the former regime, the former administration. I'm being brought before the new king. I have no idea why, because David just says, is there anybody left that I could be kind to? I mean, once again, very minimum details, okay? And the contestants bring him in here. Mephibosheth has no idea what's going on. Why am I even here? I am useless because of my, my impairment, but I'm being brought before the king. And he says this. David talks to Mephibosheth, and he says, Behold, I am your servant. And David says to him, Do not fear. Which is the same, which is it's wonderful. It's the same phrase that Jesus would repeat often to his disciples when he was walking on water or when he was talking to them and they failed and they screwed up. He said that same sentence, Do not fear. And King David says this to Mephibosheth as well. For I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore you to all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. Now, I think it's a wonderful practice to read and study the Bible, but also I think it's an even better practice to slowly read the Bible because sometimes little details like that do not sink in the way they should whenever we read past that. 
and especially in the context when we are about to go before the Lord in communion here as one body in Christ. It's one of the things I want to point out real quick, that it was that the whole context of this had nothing to do with what Mephibosheth did. It had nothing to do with what he has done or what value he brought to the table. The only reason why the king is inviting him to sit at his table for the rest of his life to restore his honor had nothing to do with what Mephibosheth did. Man, it's a hard name to say. But it has solely on the of who his father was. If you guys are not seeing that, let me say it again. Mephibosheth did nothing, but he was invited up to the king's table for the rest of his days so that his honor might be restored, not because of what he did, but because of who his father was. After that, and the story gets even better, because, it, I don't know, it might not. It help. I'll let you guys figure out. So after he does this, Mephibosheth is like, why? Why would you do this? Why would you do this? He says it right there. And he page Amun and says, What is your servant that I should show regard for a dead dog such as I? So the king invites Mephibosheth up to the table. And Mephibosheth's response is to say, Thank you, but why? Why should you regard me as this? So he takes, he, he accepts King David's invitation. And at the same time, he tries to put space in between them. Sure, this is too good to be true. Why? Am I being pranked? This is weird. What's going on? This is not supposed to happen. And that's exactly right. This is not supposed to happen. But it does. And the king invites Mephibosheth up to the table. And Mephibosheth says, I am not good enough. There is something about me. I am physically broken. I am physically valueless. I am unlovely. You should not be doing this. And see, this is, and this is the reason, and this is where it comes in to communion. Because very often, and I'll be honest with you guys, I, was, I woke up nervous. <laughs> I still am nervous. And then while getting ready for church, I had to run outside to break up a fight between my two boys. <laughs> All while getting ready for church with this expectation of going, okay, we're going to go to church and stuff. And I want to just kind of bring some reality in here. Very often we get ready with church and the little things will throw us off balance or they'll make us say, I mean, honestly, especially in these days, just kind of, why are we even going to church? What's the point? Like, I'm frustrated. The kids are upset with me. What's going on? My heart rate's elevated just to go to church, to get there on time? What's the point? But I think the story of Mephibosheth really brings it into, because if we're honest with ourselves, we are all deeply familiar with some ways that we are broken, not just physically, but our broken hearts, our broken lives. You don't have to go very far along in your own personal history to find somewhere you've been broken. And just like in Mephibosheth's case, in Mephibosheth's case the brokenness is not always because of something that we've done to ourselves, but because of what someone else has done to us. Brokenness is an equal opportunity uh, sharer, a giver. And so that when we come 
to church with our brokenness in the same way that I'm just really frustrated with my boys. Why are you guys acting like this? You should not be. When I come into church with that brokenness, the very first thing, the very first thing I'm likely to forget is that Jesus is saying, I'm inviting you at the table, not because of what you have done, but because of who your father is. And that's the one qualifier. You're broken. Sure, fine, yeah. Once again, this is the best place to be. When we are familiar with our brokenness, as Mephibosheth was, because it defined his entire life. And then we hear an invitation from the king that says, everything you're familiar with about how you frame your life does not matter because you are invited to my table for the rest of your days so that you're taken care of, so that your honor is restored, so that you can find some sense of healing that everything that has happened to you so far has brought you right here, invited to the table of the king. Let him lavish us with his kindness. The king in this story is an instrument of God's kindness. And so when we, as the church, gather before that very table to celebrate communion in the one body of Christ, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who died, was resurrected, and ascended into heaven, fully declared king over everything, that is where we are invited to today. And speaking of invitations, you guys should have received uh, the, the cup and the bread as you walked in. But if you, had, if you missed it or something like that, it's not too late. Um, we're going to have a time like there where you can get some um, in the back. But as we move as one body before the table of Christ, even those who are online, you guys are still very much present in what's going on right now because the Lord is already present. Can we agree to this? Amen. He is already here. We did nothing to make him be here. In fact, he is the one that invited us here. He is the king over all heaven who has looked at his broken people and said, I don't care. I want you to come sit at my table for the rest of your days and to be blessed by that king. So I invite you guys all today. Let's, let, let's go before him today and be blessed. At Fellowship, we practice um, open communion, which means if you declare yourself to be saved by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then you're more than welcome to join in. If you have not yet met, met <laughs> if you have not yet made that decision, and that's something to think about, are you letting your brokenness keep you from being invited to the king's table? The invitation is already there. This is more or less just what do you feel like is keeping you from there? If you're out of sorts with the Lord, if this whole situation we've been going through through the past six months has just made you question, like, what? What is the point? What is the point? It's so much easier just stay in bed. It is. Honestly, it is. I've done it. But when we get up and we join the body in union with Christ because he has invited us to a seat at the table, not just because of anything that we have done, because who his father is, Brokenness aside, that is why we gather together. Um, so, this is weird because we're not passing out the elements. I'm still really uh, new to this. Oh, new to that too. All right, so we're going to go before the Lord now and spend some time in prayer before we take the elements together as one.
in Luke 22, in the passage where Jesus is sitting with his disciples. Once again, the king sitting at a table, inviting his disciples to sit with him. And each and every one of them dealing with their own version of brokenness or some sort of way, whether they feel like they just don't get Jesus yet. Who is this guy? What is he saying? Or whether they're dealing with belief and what's going to happen. Or even, let's not forget that Judas was there during that time. And he was still invited to the king's table. In the passage where everything, where the tension was ramping up when, when no one knew what was going on except for Jesus. He knew what was exactly going on. He brought his disciples in before the table. And he took the bread and he had given thanks and he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Father God in heaven, Lord, It's so easy to talk about your grace and so easy to not talk about my brokenness. Honestly, Lord, I prefer it that way. And I know I'm not alone in this room. The, the, the possibility of a king inviting a broken person up to the table just seems too good to be true for anyone that has any amount of years of life on this earth. We like to think we know what's actually going on. Oh, Lord, you're gracious to remind us that we have no clue what's going on <laughs> because it's better than we could possibly imagine, Lord. So I pray, Lord, I thank you for the wonderful gift that is your grace you've given to us that despite our brokenness, whether brokenness we have brought upon ourselves or brokenness that someone else has put onto us, Lord, that we are invited to sit at your table free of that to be blessed by the King. Not because of what we've done, Lord, but because of who you are as our Father in heaven, Lord. And I invite my brothers and sisters who are here today, here in person, Lord, and our brothers and sisters who are still online, that we are still one, we are a unified body, Lord, that we have one thing in common, that our brokenness does not matter when it comes to being, to having given a seat at your table, Lord. I pray that we walk with this and remember this especially when we forget, Lord, that you would be gracious to remind us. And you play this in your holy and precious name. Amen. That was beautiful, Jordan. I love the comment that the king invites us to his table, not because of what we have done, but because of what he has done. We're going to sing a hymn of response. 
to that thought because the response to the king is one of surrender. Not because we need to be beaten down again in front of the king, but because he wants us to come. He wants us to trust him. He wants to provide not just salvation for us, but provide the power to live in this life. Our sermon passage talks a little bit about that. So we're going to make this hymn our prayer for this morning. Let's stand together. Dear Heavenly Father, we surrender all we are at your feet. 
because you are the king that invites us to the table because you loved us so much. You died for us. You want to walk with us. You want to empower us to live in a manner that honors you. Lord, help us to realize what an amazing thing this is, this opportunity you have given us. Be with Pastor Todd as he gives us the word this morning that we would be inspired to walk with you in more deep ways. In Jesus' name, amen.